Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. I'm Pastor Kent, one of the pastors here. I'm the youth pastor, and it's a delight to welcome you this morning. And uh, I know that it's game day, and so I just want you to stay focused on who the winner will be. I just didn't do it just... Oh, oh, they're bison socks. Anyway, uh, excited about that. After the first service, somebody came up and said, you need a new pen? This is a great congregation. Let me just share that with you. Uh, Also, if you're an SDSU fan, because of Acts chapter 10 and what we're going to learn today, you are welcome here as well. And so it's a big thing to say. We'll see how that unpacks in a little bit. We're back into the sermon series, Witnesses, and if you have one of these books, I encourage you to grab it and take a look at it. And During the sermon, there's some different things that kind of are pointed out and some questions and things to follow up. If you don't have one, there's still a few weeks left in our series, so there's a few of them available back at the Hub. So pick one up and uh, check that out. There's some great resources that Pastor Seth and his wife Nikki have put together, so I encourage you to pick one of those up. Well, today we're going to discover a significant change that God made in dealing with mankind. And oftentimes with change comes conflict. One of the specific issues that arose back in this story is the case that the early Jewish believers were expecting Gentiles to follow all the Jewish laws and all their customs and change not only their belief, but also their culture as well. These chapters highlight how easy it is for a majority group and leadership to begin to impose, often unintentionally, cultural views upon others that are not truly tied to the gospel. As believers, it's critical that we are able to separate the views and perspectives that are a result of our culture, our background, or experience versus what is truly based on Scripture. Our outline for today is the word peg. Now, I have a sister named Peg, and I'd love to do a sermon about her someday, of being positive, encouraging, and godly, but that's for a different time. Today, we're going to talk about the preparation for the change, the encounter that produced the change, and the gospel, which is for change. So uh, when I think of the word peg also, a pegboard comes to mind. And this picture shows what a pegboard is. How many have ever done a pegboard? Where you have a, a, a wooden dowel that you put into the hole, and then you got to keep climbing up, and it's hard, and you keep one secure while the other one goes up to the next one? Well, we used to have that in phy ed class, and the problem came with some kids who would get to the top, and then they'd start to shake, and they couldn't do anymore. They couldn't come out, and so they came down. Most of them weren't injured. So those got removed from phy ed classes in a hurry, but our phy ed teacher would occasionally put an X across one of the holes, or just tell us the third one on the right you can't use but you had to stay on that same side. So you had to skip one and reach even farther. The obstacle created a very, very big challenge to that experience. And the furthering of the gospel can also be hard work. And the problem comes with sometimes we get one of those holes blocked or marked, as we're going to see in a couple of chapters in Acts 15, that sometimes progress is met with new challenges and conflict. But for today, let's take a look at how God brings the gospel to here, to there, and to everywhere. In the modern world, the majority of people who identify themselves as Christians are Gentiles, meaning they're not Jewish. This has been the case for the most of the past 2,000 years, right? However, this was not the case during the earliest stages of the church. In fact, most of the members of the early church were Jews who had decided to follow Jesus as a natural fulfillment of their Jewish faith. 
So what happened? How did Christianity swing from an extension of Judaism to a faith filled with people of all cultures? Part of the answer can be found in the story of Cornelius and Peter, as recorded in Acts chapter 10. Peter was one of Jesus' original disciples, and like Jesus, Peter was Jewish and had been raised to follow Jewish customs and traditions. Cornelius, on the other hand, was a Gentile. Specifically, he was a centurion within the Roman army. In many ways, Peter and Cornelius were as different as could be. Yet they both experienced a supernatural connection that blew open the doors of the early church. Their work produced massive spiritual repercussions that are still being felt around the world today and impact why you and I are gathered here this morning. So listen as Adam and Leah read Acts chapter 10 and see if you can find, first of all, some humor in there. I believe there's humor in many parts of Scripture because it helps keep us engaged. But also see if you can find some of the key teachings in this passage. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with, with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. 
Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, wow, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Awesome. Give him a hand for reading scripture. That's awesome. <clears throat> That's lame. Yay, kids, for reading scripture. That's great. But one, of the, one of the best things in life for me is hearing kids read scripture. So thank you very much, Adam and Leah. So when I look at scripture, there's often humor. And I think God puts it in there because of people like me that just keep me engaged and keep me enjoying Scripture. And I encourage you as you read Scripture to slow down and picture it. I hope that as they were reading, hopefully you took some time, some mental energy to actually picture what was going on. But as I was preparing for this talk, and I was talking with Pastor Jordan in my office, told him I'm speaking on Acts chapter 10 uh, this week, and he goes, oh, that has one of my favorite verses. And I was like, oh, I was really excited. I thought something great and insightful and encouraging. What is it? What's your favorite verse? One of your favorite verses. He said, actually, verse 13. I said, oh, what does it say? And he, and he said it in this tone. So I have to be careful because sometimes our, our humors are different. Imagine that. My, my family thinks mine's different from all of theirs. But sometimes something's really funny. And sometimes other people, it's really not funny. But then your funny thing isn't funny to me. So anyway, here's my deal. I get to speak, so I get to share my funny. And uh, when Jordan was talking to me, he goes, Acts 10, 13, it says this. Get up, Peter. Kill. Eat in kind of a cavemanish tone. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So we opened it up, looked at it, and said, oh, it does. Just says, Peter, get up, kill, eat. It reminded me of, uh, of Isaiah 44, 16 and 17, which says, half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it, he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I see the fire. And when I... <laughs> When I think of phrases like that, I just go, Lord, thank you for at least causing the interpretation and the translation to say those types of things, because I get a kick out of them. 
When you read Scripture, slow down and say, God, what is it that you want from me? What's something fun in there? But obviously, most importantly, what is it teaching? And so our outline today, again, is the word peg. The preparation, the encounter, and the gospel. So God is preparing to announce this change through two people. The early verses of Acts 10 provide a little background about Cornelius and his family. And if you are someone who brought your own Bible, it's Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at the first two verses. If you'd like a Bible to follow along, in the pew back in front of you, there's an actual Bible. Look on page 1101 is where Acts chapter 10 begins, 1101. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want to encourage you to start getting that habit of having a Bible with you, whether it's an app or a hard copy, either way. On page 1101, it says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, these verses don't explain a lot, but they do provide some useful information. For example, Cornelius was from the region of Caesarea. We also learn that Cornelius and his family were devout and God-fearing. During the time of the early church, it was not uncommon for Romans and other Gentiles to admire the faith and intense worship of Christians and Jews, even to imitate their traditions. However, it was rare for such Gentiles to fully embrace faith in one God. Verses 3 through 8. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. This again, when you start to picture what's going on, we have two grandkids right now, and one is Lachlan and the other one is Dalen. Dalen is the youngest, and Dalen is a guy who has tremendous expressions. He has an expression of wonder and curiosity that just is incredible. Most of the time when you get a picture of Dalen, he's like this. And he's either thinking, processing, or just figuring out how to get even with his older brother. We're not really sure yet. But I look at, I think of, I picture Cornelius here just staring like, what is it, Lord? Why did, why did you just call for me? And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send me to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is standing with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Cornelius had a supernatural encounter with God. Thankfully, he chose to obey what he'd been told. The next day, the apostle Peter also experienced a supernatural vision from God. In verses 9 through 16, this is what happens with him. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened. It contained sorry, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Happened three times. How many times does God's message take to get to your heart 
or to mine? Three? Ten? Is it still counting? After those three times, immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. See, Peter's vision centered around the dietary restrictions God had commanded of the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament, specifically in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. These restrictions had governed what the Jews ate and with whom they associated for thousands of years. They were vital to the Jewish way of life, fully ingrained. God's vision to Peter showed that he was doing something new in his relationship with humankind. Because the Old Testament laws had been fulfilled through Jesus Christ, God's people no longer needed to follow dietary restrictions and other purity laws in order to be identified as his children. Now all that mattered was how individuals, all individuals, responded to Jesus Christ. Peter's vision also carried a deeper meaning. By declaring that nothing made clean by God should be considered impure, God was beginning to open Peter's eyes regarding the spiritual needs of the Gentiles. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, all people had the opportunity to be made clean, to be saved. This included both Jews and Gentiles. Do you get the significance of that truth? God's message of salvation through Jesus is available to both Jews and Gentiles. It's kind of like saying today that God's message of salvation is available, I know this is a hard thing to comprehend maybe, to both Vikings and Packers fans. It's available to both. Maybe more pertinent for today, God's message of salvation, thanks to God's work in Acts chapter 10, is also available to NDSU and Jackrabbit fans. I know it's a stretch, but even Jackrabbit fans. We're so glad that that's the case, isn't it? That God's truth is available to all, no matter what our roadblocks are to relationships. Just as Peter was contemplating the meaning of his vision, three men arrived at his doorstep. Again, to me, that's another comical part or just awesome clarifying God's timing. I love that just as he was thinking about it, these three men arrived at his doorstep. They were the messengers sent by Cornelius. These men explained the vision Cornelius had received, and they invited Peter to return with them to meet their master, the centurion. And Peter agreed right away. The next day, Peter and his new companions began their journey to Caesarea. When they arrived, Peter found Cornelius' household full of people. Remember who they were? Relatives and close friends. Cornelius knew this was a message that he wanted his family and close friends to hear. By this time, he was beginning to understand the deeper meaning of his vision. God's preparation for the significant change included Peter, a Jew, and Cornelius, a Gentile. Well, then now the encounter revealed the change that God was going to make. Verses 27 to 29, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, correct? But God has shown me that I should not call any impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? The reality of all people being worthy, if you will, of the gospel 
was made real to me in a life-changing way back when I was first youth pastor at the first church I served. We were in Chicago for a missions training event, and we would go downtown every afternoon and do street evangelism. It was a leader teamed with two students. And these particular two students weren't from our youth group. We just randomly matched up. And we would pick for the third person who they were going to go talk to. And we would simply ask two questions. We would say, do you believe there is a God? And they would almost all the time answer, yes, of course we do. And then our second question was, do you believe you could know that God personally? And we got a wide variety of answers on that one. But we had already picked the two people for these two students to go to, and they had talked with them, and we had followed up with them. And then it came my turn to meet with whomever these two students picked. And they looked around, and they picked a group of people across the street, down a little ways that we could see, that were skateboarders. And now there's nothing wrong with skateboarding. These people happened to have a whole bunch of tattoos, a whole bunch of piercings, and very creative expressions with their hair. Half, most of them were shaved on half of the head. Others were many different colors. If people had hair, it was spiked up in a, a very high mohawk. Now, in my experiences and background, that made me very uncomfortable. They said, go speak to them. They're kind of like, let's see if you're going to do it. Well, as a youth pastor, you don't have the option to go, nah, pick somebody else, okay? Because you're supposed to represent Christ and be a leader to these kids. So I said, okay. So I walked over, and my stereotypes and my understanding almost prevented me from going over and talking to this group. And as I walked up, their leader, clearly their leader, came up and met me before I could address the group. And he said, what do you want? And I said, well, actually, we're from all over the country. We're just doing some different things here, and we're going downtown to ask people two questions. He goes, what are your questions? And I said, well, uh, my first one is, do you believe there's a God? And the whole group, their, their tenseness just released. And they looked and go, oh, yeah, of course. And they're all, yeah, of course there is, of course there is, of course there is. Okay. I said, well, do you believe you can know him personally? That's when the leader turned to the group and nobody said a word. They got a little bit tense. And he looked at me and goes, hey, is this the God that Bible Ben tells us about? And I go, what a great nickname. Wouldn't that be a great nickname to have? Hey, Bible Kent came and talked to you today. Like, Bible Ben? I said, that's awesome. I said, if he's really talking about the Bible, yeah, it's the same God. And they all relaxed again and went, oh, yeah, sure, you can know him personally. It's like, Oh, this is great. So we had a great conversation with them. We had a number of tracks that said, do you know God personally? Or how to know God personally? And I said, well, are you guys, like, do you guys know him personally? Oh, no, 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 no. But Bible Ben's telling us about him. I said, well, that's awesome. I bet Bible Ben would appreciate this little booklet for you guys to receive. This summarizes probably what Bible Ben's been talking to you about. And I said, would you guys want any? They took our whole supply. They said, yeah, and many of them opened it right then and started reading it. My stereotypes and my personal experience almost kept me from going and sharing Jesus Christ with a group of kids who needed to know about him. We had a similar experience here at church uh, not too long ago. Uh, the security was informed in, on a Sunday morning that there was a homeless guy walking back down the hallway as a backpack and it's kind of uh, rough looking. And uh, so the security went, and, uh, and found the guy, and uh, he's sitting in the front row right over here. It was Nate. He was the drummer that morning. <laughs> so, 
they were all concerned that this guy has penetrated the church. <laughs> and Nate's like, huh? What's going on? And he's carrying his back. Nate, we love you. Thanks for drumming again this morning. He approved me able to share that, okay? But we have sometimes our stereotypes of things that happen that we just go, it, it, it puts a barrier between the reality of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Peter realized that that barrier, long established in Jewish tradition, was going to be changed by God. After Cornelius explained the nature of his own vision, Peter shared what he had seen and heard regarding Jesus' ministry, death, and resurrection. He explained the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ had opened the door for sins to be forgiven and for people to once and for all experience the restoration with God. They all needed to trust in Jesus for salvation. They all needed it. Last week in our youth group, we talked about 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, which says this. I won't read it all, but I'll give you a little bit of it. 3 through 8, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. It has a great list of things to do. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 5 says this, add to your faith. And then the list begins. It begins with faith, not works or actions. Cornelius had the works down, didn't he? But now he had the faith or salvation part available to him and his household. Change that the encounter revealed. And then finally, the gospel. The gospel is all about change. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for here, for there, and for everywhere. Acts 10.34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Listen to these results. This is the desire of every presenter of God's truth, every pastor, every speaker. As he was talking, the gathered people experienced a miracle of their own. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Wouldn't that be something on a Sunday morning to have all of us engage and respond to God's prompting and the leading of his Holy Spirit? That'd be so awesome. There was one time I was speaking at a camp uh, called Big Sandy Camp up in McGregor. And for whatever reason, that I came in for that week. It was during the summer. It was the middle of the summer. The counselors had been there the whole summer. They were kind of getting tired or whatever. And it's kind of the middle of the year. And I simply came and met with them. I said, for some reason, I sense like God's going to do something really special this week. So I said, let's get ready. Let's really pray up for this week. So we had a great time of prayer that night before the camp would start the next morning. And there was just this feeling, and I don't know, don't know what it was all about other than just the Lord was leading. And so it came time in the middle of the week that I presented the gospel message. And it was a very similar situation in that when it came down to the end where I was going to actually give the altar call and the invitation to respond, some kids started coming before I actually gave the invitation. And as a speaker, I was tempted to go, hey, sit down. I haven't done, I'm not done yet. <laughs> just kidding. As I was talking, like, Oh, wow. 
this is really cool. They were responding, and a ton of kids came forward. The counselors started getting up and taking the kids one by one off to the side to talk and to pray and to understand what's God doing, what's God prompting you to do in your life. It was so amazing. I still get chills thinking about it. And in this case, all who heard the message responded. What a phenomenal experience. And here's what was kind of ironic. The circumcised believers, verse 44, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely, I love this, no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They were so passionate about the message that they had heard. They received that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and said, now we're supposed to be baptized. Let's go be baptized. Wouldn't that be fun to be a part of? Well, you can because our next baptism is February 12. And as Ken said, the class that just talks about why we do baptism is January 22nd. Wouldn't it just be amazing if there's, a, if there's a lot? I know a lot of you have already been baptized, and instead I publicly proclaim my faith and trust in Jesus. But maybe there's a bunch of you who haven't, and you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking about it. Don't think about it anymore. Just say, of course, Lord, I'll follow you in baptism. It'd be awesome to have 20, 30, 40 50, I don't know, get baptized on Super Bowl Sunday. And every year you can be reminded of the day that you publicly proclaimed your faith in Christ. An amazing response to a simple presentation of a gospel that broke barriers previously existing. Well, as we close, it's important to see that the events of Cornelius' household mirrored the day of Pentecost described in Acts chapter 2. That was the day when the Holy Spirit poured into the disciples in the upper room the day when Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and witnessed more than 3,000 people choosing to follow him. What a great day. While the coming of the Holy Spirit launched the church on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit's blessing on the household of Cornelius the centurion confirmed that the gospel was not only for the Jews, but an open door of salvation for all people. The gospel goes from here to there to everywhere. The gospel goes to me and to you, to everyone. Three questions I'll leave you with this morning. The first one, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? It's available to you today, thanks to God's action in Acts chapter 10. The second one, in what ways do you expect others to adopt your way of looking at things? Or what obstacles do you observe in people that keep you from sharing your faith and encouraging them? And then finally, what change is God asking of you in order for the gospel to go everywhere? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good. Your message is so life-changing. Thank you for making it available to us. Thank you, Lord, that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us our sins. Lord, may you encourage us and motivate us to bring your gospel to everyone. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in the loving name of Jesus, our Savior and your Son. Amen.